This is episode 14 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my extraordinary women friends. So last fall, I was in Houston for my Fire Dancer book launch, and I got introduced to this fabulous woman, Lisa Holland Nelson. Lisa is a dynamic, passionate woman with whom I immediately felt a huge connection. You probably know this type of connection. It's got all the energy of, I want to know more about this woman. It's the kind of meeting where you know you share all sorts of synergies as you jump into the conversation. And in fact, in our very first meeting, we discovered that we had a passion for sharing the lives and telling the stories of extraordinary women. Guess those exact words, extraordinary women. If you look through her online presence and my online presence, they were both filled with this commonality that we, we both talk and we express our enthusiasm for extraordinary women. So yes, she's a perfect fit. And I'm honored to have Lisa as a guest this week on Extraordinary Women Radio. She's a mover and she's a shaker, and she has a very interesting path of making big career and life leaping changes and has a make it happen attitude that will inspire you, I'm certain. Lisa was in the fashion industry in New York City for 25 years before she made a move to Houston and launched into technology, where she spent the last 14 years. She loves tech, and she will tell you why in today's episode. As Lisa declares, tech is the new black. How's that for a fashion industry view into the world of tech? Lisa is the author and voice of Women Mean Business, a weekly segment focusing on extraordinary women, which is seen online on the Business Makers Show and heard on 20 radio stations across the U.S. Amongst all her significant philanthropic work that she does in the Houston area, Lisa was the co-founder of Content Active, an award-winning web content development and mobile app company that she grew from the ground up. Just just this year, she merged with Astound, where she now serves as a chief marketing officer. Lisa was honored and named one of Houston's most influential women. She's a senior fellow in the American Leadership Forum. She's one of Mass Mutual's most powerful women. She's a celebrated entrepreneur by Houston Technology Center. She is an ABC Channel 13 Women of Distinction. And just most recently, she's a 2017 Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce Breakthrough Woman. Yes, you're going to love meeting Lisa as much as I did. Let's dig in. Let's meet her. Well, welcome, Lisa. It was such a pleasure to meet you last fall. I'm so honored to have you on Extraordinary Women Radio today. Cammy, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and it was, I so enjoyed meeting you last fall and it was, we had such a great conversation and you have such a wonderful story. I have this, this huge passion for women who take bold leaps from that, from one successful career to another. And your story really fits this model. So tell us about your career path and it wasn't straight. Um, Tell us, tell, tell us how you made this, all the curry twists that you made. People ask me all the time, you know, how I could go from 25 years in the fashion business to now what's been, I hate to even think, 14 years in the technology business. Right. 
And the interesting thing is that the path wasn't straight, but what I do is straight. Ah. I've always done the same thing. I do one thing and I get people what they want. And in my case, it's customers when we're talking about business. And in being and doing that, there's certain things that go in to delivering a great product. And right. I've just always been about, you know, delivering a great product, understanding the customer was my business and not an interruption. And and the transition from fashion to technology was not as difficult as some would think because it was going from one very trendy business to the next. Right. I so, like to say in the 80s, it was purple sweaters, and today it's mobile apps and websites and social media and all of that. So it was, it was the hot industry of the time, and you were able mm-hmm. to, to be in each industry and, and really bring your gifts to the table. So, so talk to us. Tell us a little bit about the New York City, the fashion industry, what that was like being there, and, and really how you just thrived in that environment. Well, I I mean, I was really there at the height of the fashion business. I moved in the late 70s to Manhattan. I had extraordinary jobs while I was there. I went there as the men's fashion director for Neiman Marcus. I mean, it sounds so fabulously glamorous. It actually was a little boring, but that's beside (laughs) the point. It sounded glamorous, and it got me to my next step, which, which was probably one of the real highlights of my career, and that was being one of the first six people hired into Federated Department Stores, New York office, which was consulting and product development, the real precursor for what everybody knows today as merchandising services. Ah. I mean, we did private label product development for 16 autonomous department stores that were owned by Federated, from iMagnon to Bloomingdale's to Rich's in Atlanta to Foley's in Houston to Sanger's to Bullock's to Burdine's. I could go on and list all 16 or 17 of them. So the positions were just phenomenal in that we had incredible autonomy, number one, but you had to be pretty good at product development and even better at diplomacy because the stores, as I said in my first introduction, were autonomous. They didn't have to buy anything we created. So we had the opportunity to make private label product, which meant that it was going to be exclusive product for the store, and it was going to be at a higher markup than the branded product, and it was going to carry the store brand or some brand we made up. And several of them are still there 35 years later, which is really kind of amazing. But so in, in doing that, we, we really were pioneers and we were traveling all over the world, putting these products together. And we got pretty lucky, I think. I think we were probably a pretty smart crew to begin with and very well culled. But, but we were super successful in building what became, you know, one of the largest merchandising businesses, you know, as far as it's not really vertical retail, but as far as private label product development, what is now turned into Macy's merchandising services. It was phenomenal. I started in women's accessories, was promoted and given the whole main floor, men's and women's accessories after three months. And two years later, they pushed me into women's sportswear, which I went into kicking and screaming because I didn't really want to work in the Garmento world, Uh uh but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I had two fabulous mentors who made me learn the business and I learned the business without having to go through the pain of buying women's sportswear. <laughs> right. And I just, I just had a great team of people working with me 
and and sometimes for me and sometimes that I worked for and certainly the stores the merchandise and, managers in the stores. And how important were those mentors that that were around you at that time in your career? At that time probably indescribable. I think you and I talked about this. My first two mentors around the fashion, well all three of my mentors were out of the fashion business. But at this point, I had already experienced my first and my second. And my first was um, so fortunate for me. It was Stanley Marcus. Ah. And I became the accessories buyer wow. at Neiman Marcus. He, I, I went, I, my first day in Dallas walking into my office, which is a strange word when it go, when you say the word buyer, because most buyers are in stock rooms mm-hmm. with stuff falling all over them. And I got to the downtown store for my first time having moved to Dallas and I've got not just an office, but I have a, an ante room with four assistants in it and an office with a door, which was just unheard of. And I didn't, I couldn't believe that I had this like palatial space and I walked in and I was putting my briefcase down and putting something in the drawer for the first time in this big desk I had. And I, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door and this, I turn around and there, you know, is the icon of the whole retail fashion world, Stanley Marcus. And he says to me, young lady, I'm Stanley Marcus. <laughs> and you're like, well, hello. And I said, yes, Mr. Stanley, because that's what everyone called him, whether you knew him or not. Right. I said, yes, Mr. Stanley, I know who you are. He said, well, congratulations on getting this job buying accessories for Neiman Marcus. This is my favorite department. So you're going to see a lot of me. Oh. And I said, Mr. Stanley, that sounds fabulous to me. And he said, well, since you are, I brought you a present. And I said, what? He said, I'm going to give you the greatest gift you're ever going to receive throughout your career. And he hands me a long box that looks like it could be a bracelet. And I'm pretty excited thinking, my first day from Stanley Marcus, how fabulous is this? And as I'm opening the box, I realize it's not jewelry. It's going to be a nameplate for my desk. Same shape. Right. And sure enough, it was a nameplate, but it didn't have my name on it. It said what I said before. It said, the customer is your business and not an interruption. Uh And it was the single best advice I got throughout my career. I mean, I, everybody was always mad at the customer. It was like the strangest thing. Retailers hated the customer. You know, you, the buying person on the floor. Right, right. The manufacturers hated the retail. It was like the weirdest thing. How could you don't have a business without your customer? Right. And, so and that thing, mindset, right? The mindset yes, shift that takes place crazy. with that. Well, it was just amazing. And for me, being given that gift as a green little buyer, my first day on the job, and then, of course, getting as much exposure to him as I did, which was really tremendous. I mean, it was just, it was um, it was unbelievable. And I had tremendous success at Neiman's. And then when I went to Federated, it was, you know, it was a, such a challenge and so different from what I'd been doing because I hadn't, I'd, always, I'd done private label merchandise for Neiman's. Neiman's always had their own products that were exclusive to them, but I didn't have to talk other people into it. And I didn't have to do things by committee. It was me sitting in a showroom with the people who manufactured stuff, making decisions and writing orders. Right. And maybe sometimes writing an estimate and having my team do what they call the distribution. This is how much is going to each store. But suddenly I was going to have to be persuasive and I was going to have to get people to 
you know, agree with me and all this, you know, like, and I was like pretty much, it wasn't that I didn't have confidence in myself, but I didn't know how to give them what they wanted. I could Mm -hmm. give them what I wanted, which a lot of times was the right thing, Mm -hmm. but how was I going to get them to buy what I wanted? And that's where my second mentor came in. And he was the man who created the whole concept of the federated, you know, corporate office and merchandising services. And he was sending me into one of my meetings and it might've even been the first one. And I'm yapping away at all my plans and all this and all that. And, you know, I've got so much to tell him and I'm running through my agenda and all the products I'm showing. And then I'm going to show and he says, okay, stop. I want you to sit down right now in that chair. Okay. (laughs) So I did that. I sat down in that chair. He said, and again, it's a man. So he says to me, I'm going to give you the best advice you're ever going to get in your whole career. And I thought, you don't understand. I already already got that. I got that. (laughs) He said, I'm going to give you the word that's going to make a difference. Uh I said, the word? And he said, yes. And I said, what? And his name was Gene Rappaport. I said, what? He said, listen. Uh, He said, I want you to listen to what everyone says in the room. And I'm talking about active listening. You're going to have to train yourself to do this. I want you to stop thinking about what you're going to say when the other guy finally shuts up and actively listen to what they're saying. They will tell you exactly what they want and they will tell you how to give it to them and they will show you how to let them think it's all their idea. Right. Good. That's a that's a great one. Right. That made the very best advice. That was right. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. That's one that certainly carries forward through through our lives of of listening. And so, how did you make how did you make this this change from the fashion industry to finding yourself in the tech space? So what happened, there were a couple of steps. I mean, I stayed in fashion. I moved on to the manufacturing side, ran a company called Outlander, and then Evan Pacone, which is the one most people know me for, went to a vertical retailer, which was kind of a nightmare, and ended up my career in the fashion business in executive search okay. as a partner with a major search That's firm, right. doing C-level and board searches for fashion companies, retail companies, and consumer products, and was involved in some pretty high-profile and exciting searches. And that probably and in, came as a, as a course because you were so well connected within the industry, I would guess. Exactly. Plus, right. I loved making connections. Mm-hmm. Right. I, again, we go back to getting people what they want. And at this point, I was more interested in people getting the career they wanted than a, you know, a sweater or a jacket or I kind of, I don't know. I got into the human side of it and away from the apparel side for a while. And I just absolutely loved doing that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I did a bunch of behavioral transformation courses and this was what came out of it that I wanted to do executive search. And I ended up doing it and it was, it was truly, I loved it. Probably one of my favorite jobs ever. And fast forward on September 11th, 2001, a day that basically mm. will live in infamy. Right. My world and you were in New York blew then? up. I was in New York City. I was on 40th and 6th Avenue. Actually, I was coming into town. We lived in Princeton at the time. I was commuting in, and I was in the tunnel when the first plane hit, and mm-hmm. in Penn Station probably still when the second plane hit. Okay. And didn't know a thing about it, and walked three blocks 
from Penn Station or four blocks to the Starbucks on 38th and, and Broadway and was getting my coffee and two kids in front of me were, were telling the barista at that point that a plane had hit the World Trade Center and we're all thinking some little plane had, you know, flown into the cooling tower. Right. I mean, we, you yeah, know, you're not and visioning I'm not what thinking this... a thing. Right. Yeah. And I walked out and I remember I walked up 38th and went to 6th Avenue. My office was at 6th and 40th right across from Bryant Park and it was Fashion Week. And I looked downtown and I thought to myself, oh, my God, it was like this big black mushroom cloud. Mm, I thought, is there a fire at, you know, Fashion Institute of Technology on 27th Street? Mm -hmm. This fire was like 37 blocks away from me or 40. Right. But it looked like it was right there. It was right there. The explosion. So then I walked, and by the time I got up to my office, all hysteria had broken loose. So basically... That just started sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, an avalanche or domino thing of, of what I like to say now, because my, I don't, my, my child doesn't love me sharing all the details of what went on in our life. Right. Because some of it wasn't as pretty as it looks on the well, outside. Well, it never is, right? I mean, that's, I yeah, think, part no, of life. Never is. Is, life and is never as pretty yeah. as it looks. No, and I think if you don't have some setbacks, you don't even know what going forward looks like. But so, but anyway, basically what happened at that point was that if there was a weakness in any area of your life, those events broke it. Right. And they did. They broke businesses. They broke relationships. They broke just a lot of stuff. Yeah. The stress of it all. And, and what happened for me is, is that I ended up getting a divorce. Okay. And I was a single mom for the first time in my life of a 13 year old. And considering moving from Princeton back into Manhattan, and my family just said, come home, come to Houston. Right. And so that's where your family was, was in Houston. Yes. 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 And I'd been in New York for 24 years. Okay. I never meant to go there, and I certainly didn't mean to come back. And in 2002, come back, I did. Yeah. You you followed your heart. I, well, I, I think I, I think I just, for the first time was ready to listen to somebody else, ah, make, so, make it easy, which nothing had ever been. I, I didn't have to do everything myself for about, I don't know, I would say a whole year. Is that, kind of was that a, a year into, of surrender? Would, would that be a good word? Surrender and terror. Yeah. Yeah. Both. So both, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah, I was terrified how I was, what the future looked like. I was, I was a single mom. I was totally hovering over my poor then thirteen-year-old eighth grader. Mm-hmm. Who, it was the last thing she needed, you know, mm-hmm. driving her to school, picking her up, you know, hanging out at school, volunteering for everything, smother, smother, smother. Right. You know, right, feeling right. guilty, doing search. As you do when when you're going through that kind of a big change in your family, you do, you feel those kind of, it's like you want to overcompensate for everything. You do. You do. You just think you can be perfect and you think you're not telling your child anything. And meanwhile, you're telling her everything, which I don't remember telling her any of the details and she seems to know them all. So I must have, (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was bravely soldiering on and she didn't realize anything in our life had changed. And then she she remembers it all now, right? Oh, every please. Yeah. Yes. Of course she does. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and I, I feel part of me feels like if I hadn't had that child, I would never have survived. I mean, you know, you get, you get the child you need, you're supposed to have. I mean, she was so incredible 
Yeah. Our children are resilient. Our children are resilient. You were resilient and and you, you, you came through in in shining armor. So what happened when you got to Houston? So what happened when I got to Houston, my, the first venture I did was starting a women's leadership training center with the Houstonian, which is our big health club spa resort down here. And for various reasons, it didn't really work out. And I was invited to do a marketing project for this company that my friend owned. And it was a marketing and communications company for nonprofits. And they did print and mail and internet services for nonprofits. And it was 2003. I mean, Mm -hmm. philanthropy had gone to hell in a handbasket, even for Houston's most generous, I mean, the nation's most generous city, which is Houston. So it was terrible. So the print and mail was good because people had to do annual reports. They had to send out invitations. You know, there really wasn't much of an internet yet. And nonprofits certainly weren't building websites. So I was invited to come and figure out if I could help them figure out a product or something that would make a go of, of this business and also what they might be doing wrong in their process. Okay. And what I didn't talk about is like, everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses and mine is probably one in the same. Ah. I, I just get it very quickly. You can see you how tell to connect me the your dots. story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or if you, invite me to walk through your place of business. It doesn't matter if it's 30 feet deep or 300 feet deep. When I finish going from the front to the back, I can tell you exactly what's missing. Okay, good. That's a great strength. That is fantastic unless you're a consultant and you want that to take six months. Right. But I've just done it in 45 seconds. Right. (laughs) Which is what (laughs) happened on this consulting project. I was done in 45 minutes. I'd been booked for half a day. You're like, okay, there we go. We solved that. Yeah, right. What are we going to do with you now? I said, well, show me the product. Right. And the long, the the short version of this long story was that upon seeing what they had created and what their original content management system was and that I could do it myself and I thought I was going to be in my own consulting business and needed a website, we came up with this incredible product. Our first product was called Rent the Site, and our website was rentthesite.com. It's still live, but hardly functioning. And um, we decided to put together this incredible offering, you know, of websites in 48 hours, designer light, great prices. You know, um, you could rent it. You didn't have to own it. You could have it for three months, six months, nine months, one year, two years, whatever. Yeah. And we, we named it and we did the strategic plan and we did the pricing of the pack. We did everything in one day because of the two partners sitting there. The one who was the techie partner's wife was being induced the next day. Uh-huh. So he wasn't coming back for a week. So we, they said, you'll stay all day. We'll pay you the full day rate. And at five o'clock, we had this whole thing laid out. We had, a, had engaged um, an MBA candidate at Rice to do a white paper over the weekend on what the competition looked like for this space. Basically, it was WordPress, right. a WordPress type of initiative, but mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. paid for it. But it was right. exactly what that was. And I stood up to leave and one of the, you know, the managing partner looked at me and said, so what do you want to run this? And I said, what are you talking about? Run this. I'm a fashionista. I don't know anything about technology. <laughs> but he's exactly seen you what I said to him. working all your charm that day. Not the charm, but the, the, this, you know, really making something come to play there, right? It's like all of these pieces that you were able to take and build something with. 
that. And he said to me, no one will ever be as passionate about this business as you are. Ah, I so don't he care saw that what you know about you. it. And, you know, so he, he said, come back tomorrow and tell me what you want. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And he really never came through with his half. I think I worked for free for two years. Uh-huh. And we sold like these websites were a thousand dollars each and we sold 350 of them in our first year. Okay. Or 450. I don't know. We ended yeah. up buying the company for the revenue. Okay. Like in two and a half years in the techie partner and me, and we went on a year later to launch our brand content active, which grew to be, you know, the top website design and development company in Houston for a very long time. Right. And, um, I just, and being successful here, I did the same thing that I, I done in the other jobs. And I mean, I always remembered the customer that mm-hmm. the most important thing was the customer getting what they wanted and then listening to my customer because they tell me what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of the consumer advocate. Now they talk about UX design. That's a big trendy thing. Right, people talk right. about user experience. I've always been that person. That's been, that was just your natural one, route. It's my natural route. As a apparel manufacturer, when I went on the dark side, and I was selling the retailers, I sat with my customer on their side of the table when a line was being shown. I wanted to see how the clothes looked to them, what they were seeing, how they were choosing them. I was going to be involved in what they looked like on the floor for the ultimate consumer. And today, what I still do, they call me the one-click, I am the one-click person, and we have the one-click company. Most C-level executives, like myself, have no time. Right. And we're the guy that you want to come on your website and know who you are, know what we need to do, and do it in one click. So it's just so right I'm there. I'm the guy that sits there. It, it's right when you have a website from us, you see it right away. Right. I mean, you know what to do in one click. So that being said, I mean, our company, Content Active, is still in business. It's um, trying to think. We launched... 2006. So this is the 13th year. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 13th year. Mm-hmm. And um, in January, my partner and I kind of were interested in doing different things, both still in the technology space, but he wanted to do enterprise level integration, which is back, building back in systems. And okay. I love the customer right. and the website and right. social media and search engine optimization and getting the customer what they want. So we split the business and I took what I just talked about and joined a new company that has the most extraordinary search engine optimization product I've ever seen. Ah. I mean, it just works. So it was a fabulous merger. It was a fabulous merger. And the new company is called Astounds, A-S-T-O-U-N-D-Z. And we've just had a ball astounding our customers. We're basically, our merged company is three and a half months old. It's just, we're like, having a blast, booking business like crazy. And what we're doing is building optimized websites. Nice. I would say that I, I would like to take credit for some of the best websites out there, but I did build it and didn't guarantee somebody would come. And now I do. Right. We're, right. we're going to build it so and you, they will you, come. And I, that to the, me is the deal. You took what mm-hmm. you did so well and what they did so well and made, made something mm-hmm. really fabulous. 
So now instead of just one click, we're one search, one click, and one company. So did you feel, as you were getting to the decision of, of saying yes to a merger with the company mm-hmm. that you've built, you've you know put your blood, sweat, and tears into, um, was there some fear that showed up during that time? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. I think from the beginning when I sat down with my new partner, Steve Winter is his name, like it's now it's about, it's almost a year ago. And he told me about what he was doing. And at first what we were doing was we were trying just to work together, the two companies. I was so excited about his product. You know, I mean, I can remember wanting to sell what he was doing to my customers. Okay. I wanted my customers to have that. So when I had the opportunity to join him, and, you know, I did a lot of due diligence. I mean, I've known him for years and he had a great reputation and, you know, he's really a good guy. And I like to say this part, he was the former president of the Texas X's and I am a Texas Longhorn and do bleed orange. That was probably his (laughs) best reference, you know, like that. It's like, no, I mean... The opportunity to put this together when I knew that my former partner just didn't want to do it anymore. Right. Didn't have the heart for it. Wasn't having fun doing it. I I don't think I really thought twice. And I think I, the one thing that I was vetting the whole time was that he would be great to my team. Okay. Okay. And that I liked his team. Right. Exactly. And they have have really, yes. And they have been, they've just... I mean, there's laughter here all the time, which was real important to me. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So as this has unfolded for you and you've got, you know, you've got this, you're part of this new company and Mm -hmm. where is it, where is it taking you? What's in front of you? What's in front of me is a lot of opportunity, you know, obviously to build another business, which is kind of like. I'm not saying how old I am, but people are shocked that this is what I want to do. Most of my friends are thinking they're going to retire. And um, my father always said retiring was laying down in bed and we weren't doing it. I mean, yeah. Like yeah. But um, uh, I'm very excited at the business opportunities that are in front of me. And I, for the first time in a very long time, I'm actually taking a vacation. I don't think I've done that in years. And it's okay. not like it's an exotic one, but it's going to be wonderful. And yeah. I have a nine and a half month old granddaughter and playing yes, with her is in front that. of me. And that's, that's just the best. Yes. And, you know, and being with my fabulous daughter and son-in-law and my friends and just what's in front of me is really loving my life. I am working on a book. Ooh, what's that very about? Slowly. I'm so lazy. The book is, is <sighs> secret confessions of powerful women. Mm, I like that title. Mm, it's going to be funny, funny, funny. I mean, there are like four page little chapters. It's the kind of book that you grab on the run and laugh on a plane flight through. Right. And they're true stories and they're secrets. That pe- they're things that people did that they could never tell anybody that caused them to be successful in one way or another. But they're kind of hysterical now looking back on them. Oh, this is going to be fun to read. So, I can't wait. Yeah, it will be. My chapter, I am in it, and my chapter is called Lies That I've Sworn To. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so, and I'm 
Yeah, and I'm doing pretty much, I'm doing a lot of public speaking, and I want to do more. I just love that. I mean, I just love it, and I love my show, Women Mean Business. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that, because I know I think one of the things that you and I connected on so when we first met was that, you know, we we both love to create community. We both love to collaborate. We both love extraordinary women, right? I mean, that was something we were both talking about, extraordinary women, Uh, and and it was like... your, hey, I, I yeah. love those words. <laughs> so, so it's your name and my, my tagline. Right. My show is Women Mean Business, Extraordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things. And basically, I interview women um, who've done something extraordinary in any place in their life. They don't, it doesn't have to be in business. Most of them are in business, nonprofit or for-profit. But, you know, occasionally I do authors, you know, I mean, I, you know, I do a lot of interesting people. I mean, I did um, Ann Compton and the former White House correspondent for ABC. I mean, I just, if somebody's really cool and they're in Houston and I'm fortunate enough, I get to to meet them and interview them. It's, it's really been a crazy ride for the last five or six years that I've been doing it. But basically what I interview them about is what they're doing, mm-hmm. how they got there and their advice for the next generation. Okay. That's really the arc of what I'm interested in. Right. Like, like, you know, because the, the, what you're doing is always interesting, but how you got there, who was always the story thought they would be the executive vice president of finance for Halliburton as a woman, when she was in the backyard and somewhere in Mississippi growing up. Right. I mean, you have to think about it. I mean, like what, who said this to you that you could do this? Right. Right. Like, so anyway, so inspiration is really important to me. Obviously, you and I discussed, I mean, resilience mm-hmm. uh, is sort of a fact of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had plenty of bumps in the road. Right. And um, I, I sort of power through them. Yeah, so that in was most a- cases, whenever I've hit a wall, I didn't have time to take to my bed because I either had to put food on the table or I, something had to keep going forward. So right. it isn't that I didn't stop and respect what happened to me or acknowledge it, but not when it was happening. <laughs> yeah. And it, as you not were talking at the normal about, time. <laughs> as you were talking about being a single mom, you know, and having that dis- need to put food on the table, I so can relate to that. It was so many years, you know, when my son was four and I needed to put food on the table, you, you get, you get to work and you work hard and you roll your sleeves up and you make stuff happen. So that's certainly what we do I, when, um, when we, when we need to. Yeah. When I came back to Houston, my friends, I had my daughter at 40. My friends had their children at 23. So everybody's kids were seven. They were actually, they were 30 and mine was 13 when we came back here. So my friends were all grandmothers, very wealthy grandmothers, Mm -hmm. most of whom had never worked. And if they had, they weren't anymore. Mm -hmm. Or if they did, they didn't until recently. You know what I mean? Like, so it was just kind of an interesting situation. And, and as I said, I had to put food on the table. Right. So it was interesting, you know, even building my business here. Right. Because my, my, the connections that I grew up with, which were mighty and fabulous, weren't the connections that were going to help me grow my business. So you had to create new community and new connection. How did you do that? Totally. New, new city. Almost. I think I dared myself, you know, I networked, 
Mm-hmm. I networked a lot and I volunteered and I don't even like the word networking anymore. But what I did was I volunteered a lot in the community mm-hmm. and I realized that nonprofits, you know, they were our target customers anyway. And if I, if I worked hard enough and got on their boards, the board directors were my for-profit customers. Right. And, and I just, I did everything. I mean, I volunteered for registration and, when somebody important came to register at these events, I'd stand up and introduce myself. Then I figured out the smartest thing to volunteer for was to walk around with a photographer at events and take the names of the important people because he had a shot list of who to get. Right. So I was really going to meet the who's who. <laughs> we yeah. like to, it's like, who do I, I need to know in this who, room? That's right. And yeah. one of my closest friends was the event planner in Houston. And as I was volunteering at these things and she was doing the events, when there was an empty seat at an important table, which there was every single one of these events, she put me in it. Okay. So I didn't have to, I didn't sit at dinner with the volunteer table. I was sitting at the, you know, $50,000 table or the this table or the shell table or the whatever, making connections. And I yeah. just, I just, and everybody I met, Cammie, I tried to do something for them. Yes, it's it's I not had a conversation. Right. Yeah. I never just took a business card. I had right. a conversation. I looked people in their eye and I tried to listen and figure out what I could do which that would make them remember me. Right. Right. And that's and that's so important is just to is to make meaningful connections and that's what helps us, you know, just be real people in the world is by making those meaningful connections. And and it's what helps us expand who's in our circle of, of contacts and influence. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, we, we can grow that way. Yeah, Very good. Absolutely. Very good. So um, a final question for today is what three pearls mm-hmm. of wisdom can you leave our audience? You know, I thought about that a lot. Because generally what I'll say at the end of most of the time I speak is I'll remind people that the customer is their business and not an interruption. And use that with your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, you're, mm. when your child is, is making you crazy, try to remember that you had the baby. The baby didn't have you. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, stop and pay attention. Right. The second pearl is obviously listen. I mean, there's not much. Listen in every aspect of your life. Right. With your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, opportunity is right there if you're listening. Really, be there the with them. That, yeah, really, be there with them. The other thing that I I think is so important: take care of yourself. No one else is going to do that for you. And here's the big thing: nobody, and I mean nobody, will thank you when you don't. Right. They're not going to thank you for having a heart attack. They're right. not going to thank you for having adult onset diabetes because you didn't take care of yourself physically. Mm-hmm. They're not going to say, thanks, mom, for not being able to pick up my 21-pound child. Right. They're not. But the only person who can take care of you is you. So decide today that you're going to do that and do that. Right. Right. And there you have it. <laughs> and and when you um, are out speaking these days, what are you speaking mm-hmm. on? I'm speaking on building relationships. Okay. A lot of that, a lot of building relationships and, and a lot about how I did it. Um, I speak a lot. My daughter and I 
spoke together recently oh, how on the that? dynamics of two entrepreneurs and a family. And it was really fabulous. In fact, we got another gig together and she got two by herself. If you mean like that. That's great. <laughs> she's really great. And she's like, you know, she's going to talk, you know, she's going to talk at school in school districts about, um, you know, technology and your kid, you know, what, what's really going on and what you really need to watch for yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but so I talk a lot about multi-generational communication and business. Mm-hmm. I talk about, um, what else do I talk uh, Coming through the fire. I talk about, I guess I talk about resilience. I'm a little resentful of that word right now. Resilience. I heard, and I'm going to, I'm going to say something. I'm not going to attribute it, but I, there's a new book out and it's a bestseller. And the person who wrote it is someone I just think the world of, and is one of my heroes. But one of the, the precepts or tenets of the book is that resilience is a muscle Mm. and that you can exercise it and learn to use it. I don't believe that. So what do you believe? I think unfortunately that you're born resilient or not. Okay. And you become resilient when you're desperate. So I think it's a mix of <laughs> genetics and desperation. I'm sorry. That's what I it think. really lights it up there, right? <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, right. there's people that take to their bed and there's people that get up and power through it. Right. They pull up and, their, and their pants and go for right. it, right? That's right. It's not about exercising it. Yeah. You know, it's about making the decision to do it. Right. So, um, so anyway, so I think, so I do talk about that a lot. Okay. I talk about my story coming to Houston, building the business, networking, right. meeting people, just, oh, it's boring to me, but it seems to be. No, it's a fascinating story. You know, when you make big changes like that, when you take big steps like that, that, that feeds the courage of others when people say, you know, that's really interesting, right? And now I'm talking about something new. And this is this is brand new. In fact, I just put this together for. So I just was invited to speak literally four days ago at something in three weeks, mm-hmm. and it's going to be about owning your power, mm. understanding like it, owning it, and taking responsibility for it. So, what the big deal is being responsible? Yeah. So that was what my going to question was going to be there. So it's so it's being responsible is really what makes that happen. It's being responsible. You know, it, you know, there's a point. If you work hard and if you're somewhat successful and you have a circle that you're important in, at one one point in your life, you know it. Right. This is not about ego or anything else, but you know no. it. You know that yeah. you influence people. Right. You know that things you say make a difference. You know that people ask you all day long for advice. You, you can't, you're not stupid. You right. kind of are aware of what's going on, but the responsibility that goes with that. It's huge. Right. First of all, the first step is in acknowledging it, not ignoring everybody who gives you a compliment, which I did for years. Mm-hmm. You know, not calling them dummies. What's the matter with you? Why do you think I'm great? Right. That was a big step for me. Right. But so just, you know, just learning saying to I say have thank this. you. Right. Just thank you. How about thank you? You know, like just, right. I really owe that to my, um, our administrative assistant, office manager, guru, boss of me, you know, who's helped <laughs> me up for 10 years, Marva Flowers. I mean, she made me stop and say thank you about two years ago. She said, stop ignoring people. This is not nice. Right. You know, and Good I never her. heard it until somebody said, this is not, not, that's not nice. Yeah. You're not being yeah. polite. 
Right. You need to acknowledge that. So, so I think under, you know, accept, acknowledging it is first, you know, accepting it, acknowledging it, and then really being responsible. This isn't all about you. Right. Nobody got here by themselves. Right. So respect the community that you're in and do your best for them. Yes. Yes. I think that's, that's great think. advice. Great, great advice. Yeah. So where can they learn more about you? So and your my last three things company? have turned into 20. <laughs> that's all right. I like, I think they were important. So that's fine. Thank you. Yeah. So where can they learn more about you and your work? Okay. My company is, is at, is astounds, as I said, A S is in Sam, T O U N D is in dog, Z, astounds, www.astounds.com, and everything about us will be there next week when our new website goes up. Oh, There's some there now. Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter at LH Nelson, Facebook, I think it's Lisa Holland Nelson, and I think I'm, I think I'm LH Nelson, or I don't know which thing on LinkedIn. Okay. I mean, I think I'm everywhere. Okay. That's awesome. I will, I'll put some but, links on, on when I post this so that they can reach out to you. And I thank you be for great. your time today and all your great wisdom thank and you, your stories. Kim. And um, thank you so much, thank Lisa. And, and next time you come to town, we have to do Women Mean Business. That sounds like a fun time. Turnaround is fair play. Correct? That sounds great. I would love that. <laughs> okay. I hope Thanks, to see Lisa. You soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGellner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.